Good afternoon, y'all. It's great to see y'all today on this wonderful feast day of St. Agnes, young, young virgin martyr in the church. I'll tell you about her in just a few minutes. But today's gospel follows um, yesterday's gospel, so we're still in the very, very beginnings of Mark's, uh, of Mark's account of uh, Jesus' public ministry, right? So this, we're still in Mark chapter 3. Um, like, actually, tomorrow he's caused the twelve apostles. That's how early we are into this, right? So today we see this, uh, this encounter with Christ, uh, which is really beautiful. Um, he's at the shores of, of Galilee, and people are hearing all about him. Remember, Mark is Jesus' exorcist. He's on a mission. He's healing people um, left and right, and he's kicking Satan out. And so people, his fame is spread all over the countryside within a matter of weeks. He, he's famous. So at this point, you recognize there's so many people that are gathered to see Jesus that um, they're crowding in on him. And so he tells the apostles, go get a boat ready for me. So they could just push off on out from the shore. And it says, so that they would not crush him. So you've got to imagine, this is a massive amounts of people that are all trying to see Jesus, all trying to touch Jesus, right? They want to be healed because they hear of what's going on. And so he actually has to get in a boat and go out into the water so he's not crushed. How exciting that must have been, right? That must have been an incredible experience, right? And what happens is people get healed, but also demons come in, or possess, people are possessed by demons. So again, remember, Mark is exorcist. Jesus is reclaiming the kingdom, kicking Satan out. So these people that are possessed come just into Jesus' presence and begin to scream. You are the Son of God. And Jesus silences them, right? He's silencing demons because they know who he is. So if, if he is, his identity would get to be known too quick, too fast, he would be killed way too fast, and his mission wouldn't be fully accomplished, right? So he keeps silencing demons, right? And then he kicks them out. So people begin following Christ, right? A lot of times we think that maybe a whole lot of people didn't follow him because there was just a few that was at the cross. But his popularity was renowned. <clears throat> Shortly after the resurrection, within a couple of hundred years, um, of course the church was exploding and growing in the midst of persecutions. Um, and around the, the late 200s was the Roman emperor came into reign Diocletian. I spoke about him yesterday, right? The Roman emperor Diocletian. He was a diabolical, vicious, vicious man. Killed many, 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 many Christians. Yesterday's saint, Saint Sebastian, was martyred by Diocletian. Today's martyr, Saint Agnes, was also martyred by Saint Diocletian. Uh, saint, woo, um, by Roman Emperor Diocletian. Um, and her account of her martyrdom was one of the most famous in the early church, because while little children were killed in the arena, fed to lions and stuff, the kids didn't have their free will to give to it. It was just Christian households got, you know, plummeted by Romans and uh, by Roman soldiers, and everybody that was in there was killed. Right. What made Agnes so famous and so different was she was 12 years old. And so her account of her life is very detailed. We have a lot of great details on Agnes dating all the way back to the late 200s. So what happened to her, she was this beautiful little bitty girl. They said that um, she willfully went to martyrdom. At 12 years old, she willfully went to go get martyred. Right? And she refused all of the prestige, all of the hands in marriage by the Roman emperor 
um, she said, I am, a, I am espoused to Jesus and none other. And so they chained her up and they said that her little hands were so small that literally the handcuffs slipped right off. And she didn't try to get away. She joyfully, with no fear, approached the executioners. Right? And they said that so many people were present to watch this because they couldn't believe this is a 12-year-old willfully giving her life, right? That nothing fazed her, no fear, no threat, no beating, nothing fazed the courage and the fortitude of this little 12-year-old. So Diocletian said, well, the one thing that will faze her is uh, we will strip her of her clothes so she'll be ashamed in front of all these men. And so that's what they did. They stripped the little girl of all of her clothes, and they said, the eyewitnesses spoke of that, a miraculous thing happened at that moment, that every man present turned their face, and they wouldn't look at her because of the holiness that this little girl radiated. Except for one man. One guy looked at her with lust, and instantly he was struck blind and terrified. So, um, so it was really just an incredible, like even though they tried to do this to shame her, God still protected the purity of this young girl. And then <clears throat> all that happens, and she goes over to the executioner and lays her head down, and she's beheaded. Phenomenal courage of this little girl, right? But I love how God protected her purity. Like her soul is forever living with the Father up in heaven, right? But God protected her purity by causing people to turn away. And I think that's a virtue that we have to, we have to um, begin to cultivate within our culture today. Because what's the one thing that is exposed so greatly is immodesty. And the problem with immodesty isn't that it shows too much. It's that immodesty shows too little. Because immodesty stops with the body and it doesn't expose the heart. But it's the heart that is so beautiful of the feminine that will attract men in ways that an exposure of the body and immodesty can't do. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, last year at this time on this feast day, um, I was speaking about modesty. And it hit me while I was speaking about modesty that modesty isn't just for girls. Yes, women, please, your brothers in Christ have a problem. And it's a visual problem. Men are visual beings. That's how God created us. Adam looked at Eve. He didn't hear her speak. He looked at her and proclaimed, Ha, 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 this one at last. Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. He saw her. He beheld her. Men are made to behold. But what happens whenever a man sees an immodestly dressed woman, what happens? I don't behold. I try to grasp. I grasp. At something that doesn't belong to me. Right? And that's what, and you can say, well, it's the guy's fault. He shouldn't look. <laughs> well, okay, I get it. Right? <clears throat> but modesty is something that should be cultivated because what happens when a girl is dressed modestly and beautifully, it makes my imagination stop. She says, I demand you respect me by the way I'm dressed. And my mind can't go nowhere. A guy's mind can't go nowhere, right? Now, I'm not saying girls have to dress like Laura Ingalls on Little House in the Prairie. Um, I get that. Um, but modesty is something that we need to cultivate once again. It's so feminine, um, and it attracts the masculine heart in ways that, uh, that too little clothing doesn't attract. That just creates lust, not love. <laughs>
All right, how does guys do modesty, right? And it hit me that guys can also dress immodest, right? It's different with the girls. They don't get reacted in the same way neurologically, but guys can also dress modest, right? It's important that we dress in a modest way. And it hit me like as a priest, and it was a year ago today that this hit me. As a priest, we wear our clerics, right? We have our blacks and our white tab, and we can wear the clerical suit, which is the pants and the shirt and sometimes the jacket. And I've always, whenever I wore that one, um, it always feels like you're dressed up in a tuxedo. And you know how it is. You go out to Mardi Gras balls or whatever. You dress up, and men, you know, people say, man, you look real handsome. You know, you wear the clerical suit. Many times people look at you, and they go, oh, Father, you easy on the eyes today. Right? <laughs> so what God convicted me of was like the cassock. The cassock that the priest can wear is a sacred garment, Right? It's just a big old piece of material that looks like a muumuu, right? It's nothing, nothing fitting on it, right? But the cassock is a sacred garment, and that's, the Lord convicted me from that point on. And that's why I wear the cassock. I don't wear it for some right-wing purpose. I wear it for modesty and for protection. When a priest does an exorcism, they wear the cassock, not a suit. There's something in the cassock that makes Satan tremble because the cassock is a literal putting on Christ. On the, the, the real cassocks that we wear, there's 33 buttons that go down the front for the 33 years of Christ's life. There's five buttons that go down the sleeve for the five wounds of Jesus. There's the white collar that recognizes the resurrection of Jesus. So he dies with the black. He puts on Christ and he lives in the resurrection. Right? And so there's something beautiful about it. And I've never, since I've worn the cassock, I've never had somebody tell me, Oh, Father, you look easy on the eyes. It hasn't happened yet. And I'm grateful. Right? And so there's modesty that can be lived out in both the male and the female world. Right? And so I think that it's just really important that today that we ask St. Agnes to intercede for us, especially for our college students, to cultivate a beautiful love and a gift for the dignity of their own body and for the great virtue of purity and the virtue of modesty. Amen?